Thank you for downloading A Jigsaw Guide to Life with Alec McClellan. Hi, I'm Tim Donnelly. Welcome to the program. We're so glad you could join us today. Is there any point offering reasons to believe in the existence of God? Alec has a passion for pursuing truth, practicing tolerance, and promoting critical thinking. An author and a speaker, you can find out more about Alec and his resources at www.alexmcclellan.com. Belief in God is something many people hold dear, but others reject and have little respect for those who do believe. In the Bible, the existence of God is where everything begins. But what if someone says, there's no proof God exists? Is it even worth trying to have a conversation? On today's program, Alec talks about where to start, and then he offers three powerful reasons to believe in the existence of God. It seems when it comes to the question of God's existence, most people have made up their mind one way or the other, and there's little that we can do that's really going to make a difference. One person even said, Believing in God is like believing in the tooth fairy. Sometimes it's best to remain silent. Other times we just agree to disagree warmly and walk away. But at other times it's good to try and offer an atheist the benefit of another perspective. Now when we think about argument, the word argument, we think about some kind of shouting match or in each other's faces. When the word argument is actually an innocent term, that means just persuasively trying to share what you believe and why you believe that it's true. So, is believing in God like believing in the tooth fairy? Well, we could ignore the fact that uh, belief in God or gods is certainly by far the global default position. But even operating within the parameters of Christianity and Christian theism, that is belief in the God of the Bible, we have to consider the millions of people on this planet that believe the God of the Bible exists. We could also consider the deep deliberation of some of the greatest intellects in history who believed that the God of the Bible exists and that they dedicated their lives to that belief and had a huge impact and influence on their lives. We could consider people who have lived at great cost and great sacrifice. Some people even willing to give their lives for their beliefs in the God of the Bible. We could consider those who have gone around the world and they've taken this message to every continent. We could consider the countless testimonies of people who would say their lives have been changed for, their, for the better as a consequence of their belief in the God of the Bible and their relationship with him. We could consider how Christian theism has turned the history of the world upside down for the last 2,000 years and then ask, is this equivalent to belief in the tooth fairy? If someone acknowledges all this and they come to the conclusion, well, it's just like belief in the tooth fairy, maybe it is time to warmly change the subject maybe even walk away. But if someone is willing to concede that belief in God falls into a different category, if someone is at least more open-minded, then we can warmly begin to share a little bit more. And the first thing we want to talk about is the nature of proof. The nature of proof. I've heard many times, there is no proof for God's existence, or 
If you can prove to me God exists, I'll believe in him. Well, what do people mean when they talk about proof? Commonly, people think about some kind of direct empirical evidence along the lines of, you know what, I'll believe in God when I see him. I was speaking to a group of students in Scotland and there was one young man at the back of the room. He raised his hand and said he needed to see something to believe it. So I carried on sharing with the class and at the end of the time, this young man was leaving and I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, were you the guy that said you need to see something to believe it? He said, "Mm mm-hmm. And I said, well, do you believe you have a brain? And he looked at me with kind of a confused expression and then went on his way. My goal was to give him something to think about and I hope he did think about it. Does he believe he has a brain? I'm sure he does. Has he ever seen his brain? I rather doubt it. You see, we need to remind people of something that's very obvious, that you don't need to see something to believe it. Evidence comes in all shapes and sizes. And even scientific proof is only an inference to the best explanation, based upon the evidence that is available which is why scientists can change their mind over time as more information, more evidence becomes available. So how would you go about proving the existence of the God of the Bible? He's a supernatural being. So you can't see him, you can't stick him in a test tube, but you could consider if the God of the Bible is the best explanation for all that we see in the world. If he's the best explanation for what we see in others, if he's the best explanation for what we see in ourselves. And like doing a jigsaw puzzle, we fit the pieces together and see if God helps us look at life and see the big picture. Now here's a quick warning. Presuppositions can rule out any conclusion. Presuppositions can rule out any conclusion. A presupposition is what you presuppose. It's a belief that you hold before you look at the evidence. We all have them. But if you're going to hold on to that presupposition with white knuckles, unwilling to let it go regardless, then no matter what anyone does or say, you're not going to change your position. Instead, we ought to be more open-minded. As a Christian theist, I can say, I believe the God of the Bible exists, but maybe he doesn't. Just as an atheist ought to be willing to say, I believe God does not exist, but maybe he does. And then we can get on with the task of The goal, which is pursuing the truth, following the evidence where it leads. And truth is persuasive. It's powerful. And yet, truth can be resisted when truth is uncomfortable. Well, three areas I'd like to quickly consider today. First is the cosmos, the universe. Where did everything come from? Well, science strongly suggests that the universe began to exist. Even the late, great Cambridge cosmologist Stephen Hawking agreed with this. In fact, he said some people are not going to like it because it suggests some kind of divine intervention. And so to avoid this, many say the universe popped into existence out of nothing. But how do you get something from nothing for no reason? It doesn't even make sense. It's certainly not a scientific conclusion. And when you dig deeper into this, what atheists would say, you find out that nothing is not really nothing. Nothing is really something. Which begs the question, why call it nothing? I'll tell you why. Because it's common sense that if something begins to exist, 
then it must have a cause. And that cause must be something outside of itself. You could not bring yourself into existence because you weren't around at the time. In the same way the universe could not bring itself into existence because the universe wasn't around at the time. Something from someone makes a lot more sense than something from nothing. And whatever the cause is for space and time and matter must be spaceless and timeless and immaterial, which we can see is taking us closer and closer into the domain of God. The origin of the cosmos points to God as the creator. Next is design. Look through the telescope, look through the microscope, and you see an overwhelming level of complexity that even shouts design. William Paley became famous in the 19th century for saying, you know what, if you were to walk across a field and stumble upon a watch, even if you'd never seen a watch before, picking it up and looking at the complex mechanism within, you'd be sure that some kind of intelligence was responsible for it. Now think about today. Think about the, the wonders that science has revealed to us. Think about the wonder of DNA, the information that's built into the very building blocks of life. Shouts design, making an inference to the best explanation. And design infers a designer. Richard Dawkins, probably the most famous atheist in the world today, said this, he said, biology is a study of complicated things that appear to have been designed for a purpose. Now at that point you think, that kind of sounds like Paley, right? Well, wrong. Because he wrote this in a book called The Blind Watchmaker. And he said, instead of making an inference to the best explanation, we need to find a way to climb Mount Improbable. Well, why would a scientist reject an inference to the best explanation and climb Mount Improbable? Because of Dawkins' presuppositions. He has ruled out God's existence from the beginning. So God's not a live option. He needs to find some other way to explain what he can see in the world. Even if it means climbing Mount Improbable. Well, that's not very open-minded. That's not an inference to the best explanation. Instead, if we're open-minded, we can say the design in the universe points to God as the designer. Finally, I want to think about absolute morality. The recognition in the world of absolute right and absolute wrong. People can see this world is broken. It's as if this world is not the way it ought to be. Which means there's a way the world ought to be and this isn't it. Which is why we can point to things in this world and say that that is absolutely good and that is absolutely evil. Now, when it comes to things like human trafficking... We don't say, you know what, I just don't like it. But other people, hey, it may be something that they like. We say that's absolutely wrong. To prey on the most weak and vulnerable members of society is wrong. We shouldn't do it. There's no excuse for it. It's absolutely wrong. It's evil. But that doesn't make sense unless there's a standard above and beyond us that rules over us. Because without that standard, everything defaults to the level of preference and opinion. When people look at evil in the world, they think it points us away from God, but it actually steers us back in God's direction. For example, some would say, I don't believe in God. Why? Look at all the evil in the world. If they acknowledge there's evil, it means there's assume that there's good. If they assume that there's good, they assume that there is a moral law. 
to tell the difference between good and evil. If they assume good, they assume a moral law, which means they assume a moral lawgiver. But if they assume a moral lawgiver, they assume that there's a standard above and beyond us that rules over us, which takes us back into the domain of God, who they have rejected. And if there's no God, there's no absolute standard above and beyond us. There's no moral lawgiver, which means there's no moral law, which means there's no good, which means there's no evil, which means there's no problem. If you airbrush God out of the picture, it doesn't solve the problem of evil. It makes it even more confusing because there is no good, there is no evil, there is no problem. The morality in the universe points to God as the absolute moral authority. So is belief in God like believing in the tooth fairy? Well, we need to allow people to make up their own minds. We need to be warm and winsome with people who look at the world in a different way, differently than the way we do. But whenever there's an opportunity for us to have a conversation that counts, to talk about things that really matter, it's wonderful that we can share good reasons to believe in the existence of God. And the Bible says when you know about him, the next step is getting to know him better. Thank you for joining us. You can find out more about Alec and his resources at alexmcclellan.com. That's www.alexmcclellan.com. I'm Tim Donnelly, and thanks for listening to A Jigsaw Guide to Life with Alec McClellan.